Father, we come before you, the only God, this morning. And we pray that this time in your word would increase our love for you. And that we would serve and worship you and you alone. This is our prayer in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen. If you want to go ahead and turn this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, where we'll be spending our time this morning. As you turn there, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple, couple months ago, perhaps three months ago, I don't, I don't know, we were cleaning out some, some area of our storage, and I stumbled upon an old keepsake box, a shoebox. I don't want to over-glorify what it was. It was just a shoebox. And, um, and, and in it I, it, I recognized it. I knew exactly what it was, but I hadn't seen it in years. So I went, and I actually, Braden's room is right across from our storage. So we just, I walked over and sat down in his room. I don't know where Braden was, but sat down in his room and started reading through the box. And, and the box was filled with letters and movie tickets and just random little things from when Steph and I were dating. And I was sitting there reading it, and Sydney came in and, and started sitting down. She said, what are you doing? And I, I told her, and of course, Sydney is, is like your hopeless romantic. She, she loves those type things, and she cries in every movie and, and all that. And she comes by that honestly. I'm kind of right in there on the tears portion with her. And we sat there, and I was reading, and some of them I was laughing about. Some of them honestly made me blush. I was like, oh, and I was like, you can't read that one. Um, and, uh, you know, some I was, I was just kind of shaking my head going, oh, my goodness, are you serious? You know, I came across, like, poems that I had written. I am an awful, awful poet, and I don't know what happened in that stage of my life, but those will never, ever be read aloud. Um, but uh, just some funny things. The first movie ticket uh, where we went to a movie one time and I took her to the wrong theater. We bought tickets early and it was pouring the rain and there was two theaters on the end of the strip and we drove and I thought I was going to impress her in my truck and we jumped the curb and she jumped out in the mud and got her feet all muddy and we ran to the front of the theater and got there and he said, that's the other theater. And, uh, you know, just great memories like that. And... Um, we laughed about them. Sydney was sitting over there reading stuff, crying, and it was just kind of a neat moment. But, you know, the reality is I haven't looked at that box in, I don't know, 21, 22, I guess 20, 21 years is the last time I looked at that box. They're filled with memorabilia. They're filled with letters. They're filled with sentiment. But it's not what I, I draw upon to show that I love my wife. I don't bring those each Sunday morning and go, look at these letters that I wrote, Steph. I mean, have you ever read a poem like this before? You know, I'm not doing that for multiple reasons. But for one, and, and the most important reason is this, is that my love for her is not demonstrated or shown or proven by words that I said to her 20 plus years ago. 21 plus years ago, I should say. My, my love for her is demonstrated and shown by the way I treat her now. It is shown through my provision for her and my care for her and my words of encouragement to her. The things that I do alongside her and, and the way I treat her. You, you should see my love for my wife now just in the way we interact, the way we care for one another. That's where you see my love for her, not in a keepsake box, right? Now, last week we concluded the sermon by talking about the people of God 
are known by two distinct characteristics. One, we are the people who are loved by God in a very special, very particular way. We are loved by God, right? And every day we go through life, we know that. We live under that reality that we are loved by God. But we are also the people who love God. We're known as those who love God. We're not just known as those who who adhere to a bunch of rules. We're not just religious. We aren't those who just have right theology, who have right thinking, who think the same and all of that. We are known as the people who love God. And that's the the passage that we meditated on, the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. It's what you heard Pastor Michael read from Deuteronomy chapter 10, right? That we are to love God. We are to be the people who love Him. We're not known as the people who says some really nice things about God or to God when we got baptized. We're not known as the people who, who said the right thing when we walked an aisle. We're known as the people who love God, who worship Christ as Lord. We're known as the people who have turned from their sins and turned to Christ. We're known as the people of God, and that love should be seen in our daily lives. So that brings us to the question this morning, how then do we cultivate a deeper love for Christ? How do we grow in our love for Him? It's one thing to look at you and say, you should love God, right? Okay, great. How do I do that? That's the question. How do we cultivate a deeper love for God? So we're going to look to Matthew chapter 22 this morning, and I want to give you a little context. Again, we're jumping in this, and so I don't want you to be unaware of what's going on. And so in the ministry of Christ, in these moments, what's happening is the religious leaders are coming, and they're trying to entrap Jesus. They're coming, and they're asking him these questions, trying to entangle him in his words, trying to kind of have that aha moment where they go, I got you. I can accuse you of heresy now because you answered this, and it should have been this, and we know this. And so they come, and they start quizzing him, so to speak. The, the first question is, is one of a, a political nature when they start asking him about paying tax, taxes. And Jesus answers rightly. Obviously, he was Jesus, right? He answers rightly. And then they ask him a, a question, the Sadducees of all people, who don't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They come and they ask him a question about marriage and about how that pertains to the resurrection in, in, in heaven. And so Jesus answers that question. And, and you've, you've got to read the words sometimes and just pick up some of the humor. And Jesus says, and, and listen, while we're talking about marriage in heaven, you don't even believe about the resurrection? Why are you asking this? Is basically what he's saying. It's kind of one of those humorous moments in Scripture where, where Jesus confronts them and goes, what, what are, you're so focused on entangling me and you're, not even, you're asking me a question about something you don't believe in. Why are you doing that? And so it brings us to now our, our text this morning, beginning in verse 34 of chapter 22 of Matthew's Gospel, where a lawyer comes and asks him a question. Let's read this, chapter, chapter 22, verse 34. A, a familiar passage to many. Here's the word of the Lord. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
And then verse 39, a passage we'll deal with in the coming weeks, he says, In a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So a lawyer comes, and, and a lawyer, we're not, when, when it says a lawyer here, we're not, we're not talking about one who is talking about the legal system out there. It's talking about an expert of the law among the religious leaders, a Pharisee who is an expert in the law, an expert in the Jewish law. The Pharisees had numbered somewhere around 615 commands. 248 of those would have been positive, 365 of those negative. That's convenient, right? You're talking about a negative aspect or a negative bent towards religion. You have a negative command for every day of the year, I guess you could do, like one of those little flip calendars. What's, what, what should I not do today, right? They had all of these numbered. They were ranked. They were weighted. And they liked to examine and analyze and say, what, what's the greatest? What's the, what's the most important of these commandments? What's the weightiest one of these commandments? And so that's what they asked Jesus. And so Jesus does what? He quotes the Shema. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5. Now, now, the Shema, you may know this, the Shema is something that, that an Orthodox Jew recites daily, sometimes twice a day. And so he says, listen, the, the, the greatest, the, the first, the most important commandment is the one that you know. It's the one that you recite daily. It's perhaps the most common commandment, the one you hear daily. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love God. All. Look what he says in verse uh, 37, 38. What does he say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with, with what? All of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That, that threefold repetition of all. It, it indicates that all of our faculties, all of our affections, everything that we have should be occupied by a love and a devotion to God. All that we have, it should be consumed by love for the Lord. Listen to how Jonathan Edwards described this. He says, or said, the saving grace that lives as a principle in the hearts of the saints that distinguishes them from unconverted men is their love for God. Love is the very essence of Christianity and proves the sincerity of our faith. Without it, without it the greatest and most glittering show in religion is nothing. Love is the essential soul of all grace. It is so essential that all religion without it is vain and hypocritical. If we, if we say that we worship the Lord, yet we don't love Him. We don't worship Him. He's called us to love Him. If we come in here and we sing, but yet we love our stuff, we come in here and we sit and we pray and we listen to a sermon, yet we love our own name and we love our own, our own pride, our own acclaim. We've missed it. We are called to love Him supremely. But what does that mean? What, what does it mean to love God then? If we're called to love Him supremely, what does it mean to love Him? We, we can't overcomplicate this. right? We could, but we shouldn't. right? It's really simple. When it comes down to it, we, we are to love God. And we would certainly understand that our love for God is at a, a different level of our love for ice cream or our love for horses or our love for cars or our love for whatever you want to put in place there. But what does it mean? It's, a, it's a, a whole person devotion to God. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all that we are loves God. We're devoted to Him. We're committed to Him. 
It is more than a feeling. It involves the whole person. In fact, if it doesn't involve the whole person, then we, we buy into a false Christianity, a false gospel. If we neglect our mind, then we're just tossed to and fro by culture's definition of what Christianity is, by, by culture's narratives, by culture's claims. We're deceived. Paul warned us not to allow this to happen in Colossians 2, chapter, or verse 8. So if we don't love God with all of our mind, all of our intellect, then we're just tossed to and fro by every wave of false doctrine. But if we neglect the heart, then we just simply become this intellectual giant where we know all about the scriptures and we know all about theology. But there's no devotion. There, there's no love. There's this, this hollow religiosity. We can't neglect the heart, but if we neglect the soul, then it just becomes some religious ritual. Or we just come in and we go through the motions and we never just come and, and come before the Lord and allow Him to, to care for our soul. It's a, a whole person devotion to Him. It's a commitment to Him above and before all others. It means that our affections, our heart longings, long for Him. We desire Him. We desire Him above all things in life. It means we hold steadfast to Him. It means in the, what, what Paul said in, in, in Ephesians 6.24, he describes it as an undying or an incorruptible love. A love that is not determined by good days or bad days, by the good stuff you have, by your health. It is simply a love for Him that you are satisfied in Him. Your deepest longings are for Him and your greatest satisfaction is in Him. It is the song that we sing. That we are satisfied in Him alone. I will glory in my Redeemer. My life He bought, my love He owns. Listen to this. I have no longings for another. What? I'm satisfied in Him alone. That, that's what it means to love God. Now, I think the reality is, is that all of us in here would say, well, that, that sounds great, but to be honest with you, I don't know that I really do that. I really want to, but I don't think I do. Well, join the crowd. Join the crowd. I, I, I would say a lot of you are in here today. This is one of the highlights of my ministry so far. Uh, when Bill was preaching somewhere around this text, he was talking about the love for God and and it, the sermon was over, and we were getting ready to go, and I, at the time I was playing guitar over here, I've gotten kicked out of the worship team, and, and no longer allowed to play guitar anymore, but, um, but anyway, I was over here, and selling, everything was getting ready, and so like, because I'm a pastor, one of the things I would do is at the end, I would get all my stuff together, and, and sit down, and ready to jet out the door, so I could be there to, to greet you, and see you, and, and say hello, and everything, and so I was doing that, and, and Bill asked everybody, now I want you, who in here loves God perfectly, right? And I heard, who in here loves God? And I went, Pfft. you know, and I raised my hand, and I was the only one of the 400-some-odd people in here with their hand raised, and I'll never forget Bill's face. It was a great moment for our relationship. Um, he looked over and went, um, and I don't even think he knew what to say. You know, here's one of his pastors going, I love God perfectly, you know. And uh, he said, I said, perfectly, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so I put my hand down, and, and I just heard, do you love God? Listen. None of us love God perfectly. None of us do. We need Christ. We need His grace and strength. 
You, you understand that Christ died for those who do not love him. We were enemies of Christ, and he died for us. Some of you in here this morning, you, you do not love God because you're not one of his. You, you're, you're sitting here, and you have a dead heart. So you're spiritually dead. You look alive, but spiritually you're dead, and you need Christ. You need Christ to come in and bring new life to your dead heart that you might love him. Listen, that only comes of the work of God in your life. That's not something I manufacture. It's not something I, I generate. It's not something I've got a hand crank wheel and I start winding on it and then I can rev up enough emotion and feeling and songs that I like to go, man, I love the Lord now. No, it's a work of God in your life that brings a love for the Lord. That only comes in the realization that I am a sinner and I am helpless. I'm helpless. But praise the Lord that he sent Jesus Christ, his one and only son, to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death in my place, condemned he stood, to die on the cross, be buried in the grave, and to rise victorious from the grave and ascend into heaven. And promise that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you turn from your sins and you trust in him, as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Christ came and died for those who did not love him, that he might give us new hearts that do love him. Praise God for that. Now, Christian, I don't think the question is, do you love God perfectly? The question is, do you love God? None of us love God perfectly. None of us. We would all say no. But as a matter of fact, if you said, do you love your wife perfectly? You know what I would say? No. But do I love my wife? Yes, I love my wife. I was short with her on Friday. Edgy, grumpy, impatient. That was not perfect love to my wife on Friday. I love her, though. So here's what we have to ask. Two things. One, what hinders my love for the Lord? What hinders my love for the Lord? What hinders your love for the Lord? What is it in your life that trips you up and causes you not to love the Lord the way you should love the Lord? And then once we pinpoint that, then we have to ask, how do I cultivate a deeper love for the Lord? What can I do to, to grow in my love, to cultivate my affections, to, to increase my affections for the Lord? What can I do? It's just like I use this illustration a lot with in counseling situations where people are struggling with sin and struggling with desires and sinful desires is, is if I have a fire and I, I've got this fire started over here and I realize, man, that is in a bad spot. I don't need that fire over there. I really need the fire in the fire pit over here where it's intended to be. Well, there's only one place to kill a fire or one way to kill a fire is to smother it. You can, you can do that with water. You can do that in all sorts of ways, I suppose. But one way is to not feed it, Right? If I go, I don't want this fire over here, and I just keep pitching wood on it, and I go, I don't want this fire. Let me throw this kindling on there. I don't want this fire. You know, I'm going to throw this on there. You know, if you have kids like mine, they come in and throw leaves on there. Avery and Kendall love doing that. And it just keeps flaming up. If I want this fire over here to burn bright, what do I do? I stop feeding this one, and I come over here, and I start feeding this one. Right? 
So I've got to figure out and go, what hinders my love for the Lord? I'm going to stop feeding those things. And what, what's going to grow my love for the Lord? What's going to cultivate a deeper longing, a deeper affection for Christ? And I'm going to feed that. I'm going to, I'm going to pour stuff onto that, right? So what hinders and what cultivates? Let me give you five things that I would say hinders our love for the Lord. There's certainly other things that you could add to this list, but I think these are five common things that hinder our love for the Lord. Here's the first one. is a misplaced love. A, a misplaced love. We, we are, we're creatures who, who love, right? We, God created us for that capacity. We love stuff. The problem is we love the wrong stuff. We love the stuff instead of loving the Lord, right? And so a misplaced love, perhaps a love for the world, what, what John talks about in 1 John chapter 2 where he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. He says, do not love the world. Or 2 Timothy. Paul writes this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Paul writes, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now why? Here's why. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A, a misplaced love. That, that I would love the world, the stuff of the world, the things of the world. I would love myself. I would love money. I would love pleasure. A misplaced love. Charles Spurgeon says that when a man admires himself, he never adores God. When I love self, it's very difficult for me to love the Lord. The second hindrance to our love for God would be a contentment with and, and perhaps even a love for residing sin. A contentment. You're just kind of okay with sin in your life. Here's the problem that a love for sin will always, always decrease your love for God. It'll always happen that way. There's, a, there's an inverse correlation between the two. So if our love for sin increases, our love for the Lord is going to decrease. You, you don't go, man, I love this sin. And man, I love God even more now. It doesn't happen that way. Our hearts either grow in the depth of our love for sin or our hearts grow in our depth and love for, the, for our Christ, for our Lord. It's one of the two. That's why Paul wrote in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, put it to death. In verse 8, he says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He said, put it to death. Those things, that the sin that resides in you, kill it. Put it to death. Mortify it. Kill sin. A third hindrance third hindrance would be spiritual laziness 
just spiritual laziness. You know, I, I, I enjoy reading a, a portion of Samuel Ainsley, a Puritan preacher's sermon this week, and he, he pinpoints that spiritual laziness often, often does greater damage than the big moral falls or moral tumbles that we identify. And we tend to think of these really big moments, these big sins that you've got categorized in your head, right? You know, we say every sin's a sin. They're all equal. We say that, but most people in their mind go, oh, that's a bad one. Mm-hmm. That's a really bad one. Yep. Right? We have these categories, and we tend to think of those. Well, Ainsley says, man, yeah, those are significant. Those are important, and those are huge. But you know what's typically more dangerous is just laziness, spiritual laziness. He wrote, ordinarily, a great fall will bring great repentance, and one will walk more humbly and watchfully. But spiritual sloth runs through the whole course of our life, marring every duty, strengthening every sin, and weakening every grace. Spiritual laziness can hinder your love for the Lord. I think that's why Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Listen to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. It's all of God's grace, he says. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul says, listen, it's God's grace that I'm saved, but his, his grace and his salvation is compelling me and driving me to work hard, to passionately pursue him. I am not going to be spiritually lazy. A fourth hindrance. I believe a fourth hindrance would be an unfiltered, unmeasured approach to entertainment. And I think this is a great hindrance to us in our day. It, we know that entertainment in itself is not sinful. It is not sinful to just flip on your TV or to read a book or go to a movie or to play a board game or to play a video game. That, that in itself is not sinful. Now, the problem is, is I think that's where the hindrance lies. Is because that in and of itself is not sinful. I think we let our guard down. And we just kind of go, okay. You know, and just walk right into it. And we don't worry about it. Right? The, the problem is, is we just kind of go in unfiltered and unmeasured. You know, Jesus says, Matthew 6, 22, he, he calls the eye the lamp of the body. He says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What are you allowing in through your eyes? What are you allowing in through your ears? The, the problem is this. It's not entertainment itself. It's when entertainment becomes our goal. When we just approach it unfiltered, unmeasured, and we just let it in and don't consider it, and it becomes our goal that we just want to be entertained. And we're not worried about how it's shaping our mind and how it's, what, what it's doing to our heart, where it's bending our heart to. That we entertain ourselves so much unmeasured and unfiltered that gradually it's just moving our heart, moving our heart, moving our heart to where we once were focused on the Lord and now we're focused on this. And we never saw it coming. A great hindrance to our love for the Lord. A final hindrance would be busyness. Busyness. I was curious 
this week, and I, I did a search on my hard drive on my computer just to see the times that I had talked about busyness in sermons and teaching, and it went all the way back to 2005. Fifteen years. Fifteen years in various contexts and various sermons. This has been something I've put before you or others, that busyness hinders our walk with the Lord. That we are go, 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 go. Hit this practice, hit that movie, hang with these friends, do this, do that, go to work, go to da 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 da, fill in the blank. That we become so busy that we neglect our Lord. We neglect the teaching of Psalm 46 where God says, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. We forget Psalm 130, the value of waiting. For the Lord. And in the midst of all this, we completely ignore the teaching of Psalm 90, where the psalmist says, Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Life is brief, it is passing. We are but a vapor here for a moment. Don't allow busyness to cause you to be so busy that you don't grow in your love for the Lord. So how do we cultivate then a deeper love for God? How do we cultivate a deeper love for God? There's no secret method. There's no secret code. There's no list of these eight things you do and then you'll love the Lord. Again, it's really simply the fact that God has created us to be relational beings. We understand that, don't we? If I want to deepen my relationship with you, you know what it's going to demand? It's going to demand time together and communication. My relationship with you and your relationship with me will not increase outside of those two things. Would we really expect it to increase with God outside of those two things? I mean, does that even make sense to you? It doesn't to me. God has created us as relational beings. And, and in our spiritual lives, the way that we grow spiritually, the way that we grow in our love for the Lord is what, what many people call the means of grace. The means of grace. The means of grace simply refer to the habits and the disciplines that God has designed for our good as a means or as a way for Him to pour out His grace upon us. It's the things that He calls us unto and says, do these things... Not to earn His favor, not to earn salvation, but because as we do those things, it's just the way in God's economy that He's designed that I'm going to pour out my grace upon you as you do these things. The means of grace. So, I just want to give you three categories. They're, they're taken from a book that I think is really helpful if you're a reader, written by a guy named David Mathis called The Habits of Grace. And in that, he breaks the means of grace up into three categories. The Word, Prayer, and Fellowship. Three categories that he would say, listen, we need to think along those categories. That we need to think about what God said about his word, what he said about prayer, and what he says about fellowship. So here's some ways to cultivate our love for the Lord. One, with the word. This is going to be profound, so grab your seat. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. This is rocket science. Who would have ever thought we would come to church 
and worship and hear the preacher say, read the Word. But read the Word. Let me ask you, if I said, how many times have you read the Word this week? How many of you would raise your hands for da-da-da-da-da? How many of you, if I said, have, have you read the who has in, in here has not even opened the Bible this week? Would you raise your hand? You're not going to increase in your love for the Lord if you don't open the Word of God. Read the Word. Read for depth. Read for breadth. So study passages intensely. Grow in them. Learn. Dig into them. What do those words mean? What does it mean for my life? And read for, read for breadth. Just read it. And there's value in reading through and trying, you know, doing like your daily Bible where you read through and read through the Bible in a year or two years, whatever your plan might be. There's also value in just sitting down and digging through a book of the Bible. My, my rhythm tends to be alternating years. One year I'll just try to sit down and just kind of read through the scriptures, and the next year I'll just pick out some books and I'll just kind of dig through them real slowly. That's what I've found to be effective for me. That may not be effective for you. What I would call you to is to get in the Word of God. Meditate on the gospel. Rehearse the gospel. Milton Vincent has written a really, really helpful little book called The Gospel Primer. Think about the gospel. Rehearse it. Remember it. Practice M&M. I love M&M's. They're one of my favorite candies, if not my favorite candy. But practice M&M. Meditate. Memorize. Memorize the word. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against him. Meditate upon it. What we did this morning, just mull over it and chew on it like a cow chews cud. Just chew on the Word of God. Be in the Word. Second way to cultivate a love for the Lord is through prayer. Spend time with God in private prayer. Spend time in your closet, as it's called. Just spend time with the Lord in prayer. Gather for public prayer. Gather for public prayer. I would encourage you, I would challenge you, I would appeal to you that when we say, hey, we're going to have a time of prayer, a prayer gathering here, come. Come. That should never be the lowest attended thing the church does. How, how can it be that, that the time that we come before the throne of God and we boldly approach His throne, how could that be a lowly attended opportunity? Gather for public prayer. Steal your soul before the Lord. Listen, wait, praise, make appeals to God. Pray privately, pray publicly. And then finally, fellowship. Fellowship, spend time with God's people. Gather for corporate worship. Celebrate baptism. Celebrate. And when, when somebody is baptized, that's a moment where we, we are like, Woo! Yeah! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord. It's right that we're excited. It's right that we clap for the work of the Lord. We're not clapping because how great that individual is. Why do we clap? We clap because the Lord is great and awesome and, and saved that person. And they are there to testify before everyone and go, Look, I am one of the kings. I'm one of the people of God. I'm a child of the Lord. This is what He's done. And I'm here to show you symbolically is what I, what's happened. I've died to self and I'm risen to walk in newness of life for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we applaud and we are excited. Celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Come around the table and remember together as a community what God has done. Fellowship. The writer of Hebrews is very clear about how this stirs up our love. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, listen to what he says, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day approaches. We gather together and we encourage each other to love God more deeply and to love others as Christ loves them. When we gather together, it should encourage and cultivate a deeper love for the Lord. We sing and we sing unto the Lord, but there are moments where we hear and we pause and we hear our brothers and sisters in Christ singing the truths of God to Him. So, as we close, here's what I would encourage you to do. I I would encourage you just to pick one action step from those things. We talked about the Word, we talked about prayer, we talked about fellowship. Pick one thing out of each of those categories for you and say, you know what, I could, I could really grow in my love for the Lord if I spent more time in the Word. Or maybe it's I need to, I, I, could, I could memorize Scripture and that would help me. Maybe it's I, I want to just dig in. I've read a lot, but I just want to dig into one book. I don't know what it is. There's an aspect of your prayer life. You go, yeah, I, I could really, I, I want to spend more time in just private prayer. Or I want to start praying with people. That's something I don't do. Maybe, maybe you are just lacking in fellowship with, with believers. You come and you come into worship and you go out. And you say, you know what, as soon as we're, start, we're able to start gathering with small groups, I want to I increase the depth of my fellowship and I want to get involved and connected to a small group. So I'm going to get engaged with a Sunday school class, a small group. I don't know what it is. Pick one of those things that you say, you know what, here's a log I can throw into the fire to cultivate a deeper love for the Lord. If you need help with one of those, come see a pastor. Come talk to your Sunday school teacher. If you need a resource, if you go, you know, I want to do that, but I just need to be better equipped to do that, come see us. We want to help you do that, Okay? And then for others of you, you may be sitting in here this morning and you go, wow, I, I just realized that I simply have been playing this religious game and I really don't love the Lord. If that's you, this morning I, I would call you to repentance. I would call you to turn from your own selfish living and turn to the Lord for salvation. I would call you to come before Him And say, oh God, I do not love you. My heart is dead in transgression and sin. Would you come and give me new life and a heart that loves you? Turn your life over to the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your goodness and your love for us. And God, it is our prayer that you would increase our love for you. God, we know, we know that none of us love you perfectly. So, God, would you strengthen us by your grace to love you more every day? And, God, would you drive out sin in our lives? Would you give us a hatred of sin in our lives? Would you cause us to be more concerned about the sin in our own lives than we are about the sin in those around us? God, would you increase our love for you? Would you give us wisdom, Lord, we ask, to know what we can do to cultivate a deeper love for you, to to stir up our affections for you, Lord. Show us how to do that, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.
you stand with us and, and sing this morning if if you would like to to pray or, or talk more about what it looks like to become a member of grace or, or or just anything like that if you'd like i would invite you to come come forward and certainly happy to talk with you or after the service in the foyer we'd be happy to talk to you as well let's stand and let's sing unto the lord Oh, 